Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. We've had a lot of people come on this podcast and talk about like when they went through rescue swimmer school and how it set the tone for the rest of their lives throughout their careers in whatever adventure or whichever way they go, whether it's continuing in the military or going to the civilian side. The mindset is still there. It, do- it doesn't change. For everybody else out there that's done something similar, whether it's a firefighting school, 
Maybe it's other special forces type training or something that you really had to work hard for in order to get through. That mindset will continue on. And as soon as you get through that first section, the rest, it just sticks with you. So our next guest coming up talks about that a little bit where he went through Navy Rescue Swimmer School and that really set the tone for him for the rest of his life. Because after he got out of the Navy, he went on to mountaineering and has climbed almost every peak on all seven continents. He gets into that here. So please welcome our next guest, United States Navy rescue swimmer and author of the book, The Blind Descent, Mr. Brian Dickinson. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Uh, Today I've got like, this is going to be a little different than than some of the other stories that we have because... This guy, man, he went through a lot of the same training we did. He wrote a book and the guy's, the story is amazing. So it's a little bit of self-rescue, I'm going to call it. Is that, is that accurate, Brian? Yeah, whatever. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Dickinson, United States Navy rescue swimmer and author of the book, The Blind Descent. Welcome, Brian. How are you, brother? Doing great. Thanks for having me. It's good to Heck see you. Heck yeah. Good to see you too, man. I, I, you know, like you and I have been in touch a little bit here and there. And I got to tell you, dude, I, I listened to the book and I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but wow, what a story. Like cruising up to the top of Everest. And, and I'm not even, I don't even want to like ruin any of this for later, but wow, what a story. <laughs> so good for <laughs> Thanks. you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, Brian, if you don't mind, just give a little background about you and let's start. If it's cool with you, I'd like to start with your Navy career because you are a, a Navy rescue swimmer, which is pretty yeah. badass. Cause that school is hard, just as hard as Coast Guard swimmer school. So, I mean, heck that's where we kind of started and then evolved and, yep. evolved. but yeah. Yeah. So. In fact, yeah. So I was, uh, my name is Brian Dickinson. I'm 47 years old. I'm a Gemini. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Long walks <laughs> up the mountain. Uh, yeah, I was uh, literally, I was an aviation rescue swimmer in the Navy from 93 to 99. And what year did you go through? So I went through in 2000 uh, out of Elizabeth okay. City, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So when, uh, when I went through the coast, coast guard, is, is coasties, is that like a, it's, that's Probably a good like term. A squid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Coast Guard. Can, can we do that now? Is that what it is? Like usually it's puddle jumper and you know. Like... Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's all I'm good. All no, you know, you guys are awesome. Uh, but like one of my instructors was was a Coast Guard rescue swimmer, and we had some students go through. So I know at that point, back in 93, you know, it was kind of straddling. I know you guys were branching off and having your own training as well. But back then it was it was all the same. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, I've, um, I was in for six years, supposed to be in for five, but snapped my knee on a Navy soccer team right before I was getting out, had to extend a year. For so, recovery. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have surgery and everything. So Ouch. did two tours in the Persian Gulf um, on the USS Constellation. I was with HS2 and just uh, a lot of a lot of cool memories, man. It's just, uh, I think the coolest job you can have in the military for sure. Just, uh, amazing people, just an elite group and those skills. I mean, they just, they stick with you. Uh, you know, it's, that is such a truth. I, like everybody that I we've talked to and, and for me personally, like everything kind of falls back to the initial rescue swimmer mindset and training. And you're like, Ah, uh, you can't even get rid of it anymore. It's just there yeah. <laughs> for everything you do. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's an unrelatable skill for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it is an elite group and, you know, even the ones that make it pretty far and don't, don't make it all the way, you know, it's, they're, they're still, still a part of it. You know, it's still impressive to, to even attempt it, but the, you know, the ones that you do 
you know, you're, you're flying day in and day out with and risking your life with and been through it all. I mean, it's, it's on another, another level. And, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest and there's, there's not a lot of rescue swimmers around here. So it's, it's, it's tough to relate at that level, which is probably why I got into mountaineering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Which brings you to a a different aspect from the majority of us. Well, you know, I can't say, I just say from me because I never got into mountaineering. So, um, but all right. So you did two tours in the Navy and I I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, most of the stuff that you did was just training. Like you, you had gotten deployed with some Navy SEALs and and a couple other uh, deployments. Is that right? Is that accurate? So did two Westpac. So it's six month cruises over in the Gulf, you know, hit Australia and Asia and stuff on the way, but for the most part, just doing circles with a couple carriers in the Gulf wedged between the wars. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're in the Navy, you know, we, we do quite a bit. Um, you know, it's, we're rescue swimmers, we're search and surveillance, you know, photographers going out and, you know, trying to see what boats are out there. And if they're doing bad things, we're uh, working with Navy SEALs, EOD, Marines, doing the CSAR, combat search and rescue, aerial gunners, um, anti-submarine warfare. Um, so in the, the helicopters that, that I flew in, the 60Fs and the Hs, Hs were more outfitted for CSAR. The Fs were outfitted with the sonar and sauna buoys. Nice. So we would randomly dip and you know look for anything bad under the water. And I'm actually one of few, if any, um, helicopter AWs, that was our rate, to have um, active contact with a Russian nuke where they're not supposed to be. What? Yes. <laughs> me and uh, Tony Desenzo. So if you've seen the movie Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Uh, the guy that was in all the helicopter scenes, that's Tony. He'd, unfortunately, he um, got killed a couple years ago on his motorcycle, but... Just an amazing guy, legend in the field. So, I mean, we were a combat crew. We used to fly together all the time. And yeah, we were uh, heading back from our Westpac and did some random dipping in front of the carrier and caught um, some bad guys where they're not supposed to be. And pretty much that's all I can say at this point. (laughs) Roger that, huh? (laughs) Wow. Dang, man, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Right on. So from 90, you said from 93 to 99 is when you were in? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yep. Sweet. Man, with two tours, that's that's pretty awesome. All right. Well, let's uh so outside of the Navy, then all of a sudden you go home and what you got bored one day or what? Because all of a sudden now you're into mountaineering. And again, this kind of goes into the book, The Blind Descent, as far as you just talking about uh, you know, you hiked up this mountain and then this mountain and then this mountain, but like, how did you get into that side of it? Yeah, just not very smart, I guess. <laughs> just kind of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever. It looked like a good and, time uh, to me. So, yeah, that looks fun. Um, <laughs> no, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So I guess adventure is always instilled in me. You know, we were in the 80s, you know, you're growing up and it's not like we had technology or you know, phones or internet or anything to distract us. So it's like, go outside, have some adventure. And, you know, we're, we're all wired differently. So I think we can talk about, you know, some of the mountaineering I've done and it may seem crazy, but you do stuff that's crazy. You know, everyone does something that's crazy to someone, right? So we're all, we're all, all wired uniquely, um, but got married, moved up to the Pacific Northwest. My wife and I were in grad school, getting our master's and, had a couple kids who are now 15 and 18, not so little anymore. And I, but just during that, you know, I just, I felt there was just this absence and, you know, just one day you're jumping out of helicopters, uh, next day you're, you know, working in the high tech field, you know, just having kind of a lame ass life from that perspective when you compare the two. (laughs) Right. All of a sudden you land in a cubicle, you're like, you know, my office was at 4,000 feet or, you know, 50, 50s or 10 and 10s. And you're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah, it's, it's different. It's a transition for sure. I think probably everyone that gets out goes through that to some extent. Yeah. Um, but living up here in the Pacific Northwest, there's no shortage, shortage of adventures. 
So I started mountaineering, um, you know, hit Rainier a few times and then started hitting all the volcanoes here and then decided to step it up and climb the highest peaks on the seven continents. Damn, that like that's that's crazy, uh, which I think is kind of funny because, I, again, you talk about it in the book quite a bit. Just you and your buddy were sitting around and like, oh, let's joke around and yeah, let's hit all seven peaks. And you're like, Haha, yeah, let's do it. And then it was like, yeah let's freaking do this. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Once something becomes a reality, how real it really gets. And, you know, when you can kind of reverse engineer, you kind of, you know, even go through SARS school, right. You kind of knew it was going to be however many weeks you start working it backwards. Okay. I got to get through not just today, but the next five minutes, Yeah. you know, and then that accumulates and then you're there, but you start planning it out and it's the same in mountains. You know, everything is very doable. There's other people that, that climb out there. So there's good resources. And I did all the training, you know, and for us, we did, you know, land and, you know, CSAR. So, I mean, there's, there's some of that training with the ropes and the different things we did with the, you know, special forces repelling fast ropes by, well, you don't really do spy rig in, uh, in the mountains, but, you know, there's, there's some of that, that stuff that crossed over. Um, uh, do, do you guys go through SEER school? We do not know. Uh, okay. But if you want to touch on that a little bit more as far as what that is and what it entails, <laughs> I have yeah. not personally been through it. <laughs> I know of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it sucks. Um, it's <laughs> survival resistance and escape. So yeah, it's basically training you to survive if you get shot down and you know, air crew, pilots, you know, those that have um uh I guess some sort of clearance and are going to be in harm's way, you know, Navy SEALs are in their Marines and I guess, you know, PJs, different air force do it as well, but they have their own training. Um, but yeah, you're, you're out there surviving off the land and then eventually you, you have to get caught and interrogated. And there's a, you know, a, a lot of the, the techniques that they use and everything are obviously classified. Don't want right. the enemies, not that they don't know how to torture everyone, but um, you know, I don't <laughs> want to give them any other, how, how we're going to, you know, not give yeah. up information in those scenarios, yeah. but it's, it's rough, but it, it it's really good training. Um, you know, if you're basically, if you die in there, you're getting waterboarded. So to be waterboarded, it's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't get waterboarded, but you know, I think everyone gets pretty close to that because you're just figuring it out and it's, it's a rough, it's rough training, but it, it definitely teaches you a lot about yourself. Um, you know, what you can overcome and just being in complete misery. And it's, it's a, it's a suck fest, you know, it, by any means it's, it's just a suck fest. And that is, that is mountaineering. There's nothing graceful about mountaineering. You're at altitude. You want to throw up you know, you can have life-threatening scenarios, you know, so it's, you know, obstacle avoidance, it's understanding the route, just being, making really smart decisions, but also not just giving up because it's a hard day. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's SARS school, you know, you have a lot of hard days and a lot of people give up and that's, that's their option. And then they have to live without the rest of their life. And that's, that's okay. You know, not everyone's equipped for it. Um, but you know, in the mountains, there's, there's definitely days where, you know, I'm up in the death zone going, I got a great family at home. I got to keep taking out like, what the hell am I doing? here? I'm, this is the what stupidest thing I ever. <laughs> so I can get to the top and back, but you know, it's, it's an amazing experience. It's, you know, you live once and you set these goals out and you accomplish it. And it's, you know, it's a, it's an amazing yeah. lifestyle. I love the fact that you just like said you're in the death zone, the death zone, which is literally what it's called at that altitude and that point in the mountain. And second guessing this, be like, do I really want to do this in the death zone? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, it's like, well, I'm here. I might as well keep yeah, going. I mean, <laughs> I'm feeling... I've made it all the way this far. <laughs> it's a couple well, it's more funny because... The, the hardest thing, remember, even like SARS school, the hardest thing is it's your mind. Yeah. Like it, physically, you're going to get through stuff. You know, you're, you're going to get stronger. You're going to get smarter. But, but the mind, you know, they're, they're, they're just trying to break you down and get you to quit because you're in the middle of the ocean. 
if you're going to quit, well, <laughs> you know, that doesn't make for a very successful rescue swimmer, you know, and exactly. our, our whole job is to not panic in those scenarios, but to jump out of a perfectly good helicopter and rescue someone who sees you as flotation, trying to panic yeah. and you got, got to gain control of them. So there's a, there's a lot of scenarios in mountaineering where, you know, there's a lot of those parallels where if you panic, like I've been pinned down up on Denali at 17,000 feet for a week and it's, you know, negative 40, 50 degrees with 60 mile an hour winds, you know, in the tent, it was so cold. I could see my breath actually crystallizing, freezing. And I'm just stuck there for a week, just watching this, just going crazy. And there's nowhere I can run. So it's not like I'm going to panic and just you know get up and run. Where are you going to run? Gonna, yeah. You know, it's 15 miles up there. I'm going to die. So you just hunker down and get in that, that safe mind mindfulness and that mind space and just power through it. Wow. That's crazy. That's awesome. I, I like most people are probably listening to this be like, you guys are freaking crazy. Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I love every second of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, you talking about like just having the mindset, you know, I, I remember times in school where it was like, oh my gosh, I like this could all end right now. And something that stood out to me, which I uh, push, I don't push on, I tell this to everybody else is, you know, if you can do, if you can get out of the pool and walk back to the barracks, you can do another lap. And, and I, you know, in that suck fest and in that moment in time, when you're like, Oh my God, this is like the worst thing ever. And it could all be over. No, I could get out and walk back to the barracks. I can do another lap because it's going to be over. It's, it's going, mm-hmm. it's going to move forward. And again, yeah. that whole mindset to get you there is I'm all about it. So, yeah, no, and you, you know, you see people on the wall that have graduated and it's like, if they could do it, you know, I can do it, but better, you know, <laughs> and you, you kind of have to have that cocky confidence, but yeah. You know, not to the point of where it's total arrogant. You know, there's a fine line between what ass and <laughs> <laughs> coffee actually, and ass. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, it was, it was great because in my class specifically, we had a very strong class and I was never first in anything, but I was never last in anything either. So that's a good place the, to be right there. Uh, yeah, right. And, <laughs> but the the good thing was, well, there's it's good and bad to that. Cause if you end up first, you're like, Oh, you were sandbagging, you know? And you're like, no, I just so happened. Everybody else is tired. And I had a good day. And if you end up yeah. last, Oh, good Lord. They are all over you. Your instructors are just, just screaming at you. And, and you're like, why am I, why am I lagging today? It could be just having a bad day. Like mm-hmm. I, I think everybody has a bad day in the gym. People have bad days. It is what it is. And then you got, yeah. you got to learn how to power through that. That's right. Absolutely. I, and even when I brief people, I, I brought a couple of NFL players up on a uh, Rainier a couple of years ago. And, you know, these guys are at their game, but I, you know, I'm in charge. I, do, I have to brief them. Like you're, you're a big dude, you're super fit, but everybody has a bad day or at least a bad time because you're at altitude, you're going right. to feel the, you know, acute mountain sickness. You're not going to feel well, you're not going to be hungry and you're going to try to rationalize this but we have to make good decisions. And I always tell the same thing. I don't care who I'm bringing up. It's like, if I'm leading, we're going to the top. If I make a decision, that's the decision. We won't discuss it there. We will go back to our high camp. Maybe we'll make another attempt, but the last thing you ever want to do is get that irrational thinking and then have, you know, an argument or fight, you know, up on the mountain, just, way too dangerous so everyone agrees to that okay well if you're angry at me sorry but you agreed to it (laughs) well heck then you end up running into what you did in uh up on mckinley there and next thing you know you're a week sitting in a tent watching your breath freeze yeah no it's brutal and even during that time it's crazy some guy ditched his crew at a lower camp walked through ours with skis on his back i mean it's like 60 mile an hour winds it was it was brutal and we tried to stop him and he's like, no, 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 I'm going to the top. And it's just summit fever. And he, he got blown off and they still haven't found his body. Oh my like, we went Lord. and made a summit attempt, went up there. We were looking for him. The C-130s with their infrared were flying over, but we know we couldn't find him. Wow. So, uh, you know, every day is a good day to survive. 
Uh, yeah, good choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make good choices. Hey, I mean, you know, that's funny. So you've climbed, have you hit all seven peaks in all, all continents, all seven continents? Yeah. Yeah. So I've climbed them all. I've been on Denali three times, snowboarded it once, yeah, but I've still not stood on top. I've been within a thousand feet. So. Oh, no way. The, yeah. That's, and honestly, that's, that might just be part of my story. You know, sometimes you have to be okay with you know not being okay without reaching that goal like i could keep hammering it but you know weather is insane and again comes back to making good choices and i'm here on a podcast with you right now totally looks like i need to get on the top of my uh mckinley there before you do that way i can say, hi <laughs> yeah. <me> brian <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> no i'm just kidding no, um <laughs> all right so which which mountain did you guys tackle first in the seven peaks so Denali was the first, and okay. then the next year went and did both Kilimanjaro in Africa. Sweet, it's and, on my list. And, yeah, it's it's awesome, and it's it's very doable, very cool. Mountain. So Kilimanjaro. Speaking of that one directly, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because there are like multiple different routes up that mountain, and there's one that's a, actually a relatively easy, easy hike, the easier of the hikes to go mm-hmm. up. So that's one of the reasons my wife was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be cool. No, I'd love to bring my kids up there. So maybe at some point do that, yeah, but it we'll is it's a walk up. Yeah, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah. It's like a, I don't I think it's like a week long trip. We did it in five. So we kind of cut out some acclimatization days. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's amazing. One day monkeys are jumping over your head because you go through all these different climate zones. And then you're kind of up in this like deserty area, then the mountains, and then there's a glacier on top. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's pretty wild. Yeah. It's a good one. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Sign me yep. up. I was already signed up, but sign me up again. I'm ready. Yeah, no, you'll <laughs> love it. That's great. And plus just, you know, being in Tanzania or Kenya or wherever you go into, it's, it's just cool to be immersed in the people there. And yeah. I, like you heard my book, I always visit orphanages and, you know, bring toys and, just show Which a little awful. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a really cool experience. Um, so later that year, we went to Russia, climbed Mount Elbrus, highest peak in Europe, and had a buddy do that. And then my wife came. She went up to high camp, which is, or one of the camps, like 13,000 feet. Sweet. W- waited there. Um, that one's 18.5. So it's, it's getting up there. And then after that, did Everest. Which is, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Aconcagua, I think. I may have done a Denali again. And then Aconcagua, which is down in Argentina. Yep. And that's the highest peak in the Southern Hemisphere. So I ended up soloing that. And then, actually, no, Everest, that same year, I went down to Antarctica and climbed Vincent Massif. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. That's, if you can, have you been to Antarctica? I have not. Uh, I know it's a big sheet of ice and cold. It's the biggest desert in the world. <laughs> Literally. People don't, yeah, people don't realize that, but it is. Um, it is It is cold. It was negative 70 on the top. And uh, that was a little chilly. Like I, I touched a carabiner, the metal you know, device on my, on my harness with bare hands just for a millisecond because I was, had to get something. And I didn't feel my fingertips for like two months. It was like, it was like hitting a hot stove, like the sizzle, like, ah, crap. But, wow. Uh, oh, it man. is amazing down there. Yeah. If you ever have the opportunity to go to Antarctica, it's so cool. Like, literally cool. But it's, it's like being on the moon. You know, people don't just show up there. They're there for a purpose. Yeah. And mine just happened to be climbing the highest peak down there, which was just amazing. It's yeah. I, I don't see cool. that as a very big tourist destination. Throw that out there. Yeah. No, no. In fact, <laughs> when we were there, um, the remember frozen planet, it was like yeah. Nat, Nat Geo, whatever. So they were there filming it while we were there. So we were watching like the raw footage, like in these clam tents, like it was pretty cool. These British guys says, so yeah, you're there for a reason. You're either a scientist or climbing or going to the South pole. So really cool. So after that did, I think, Aconcagua 
in Argentina, had my family come down and meet me after that one. And then I actually, I think my kids were like five and eight. Um, they climbed Kosciuszko with me, the highest peak in Australia. No kidding. Oh, that's yeah, cool. cool. It was just like a five mile, like, I don't know, 7,000 foot peak, but it, it was cool to have them there. It was windy day. They're like blowing away. I'm like grabbing them. It's, <laughs> it's, it's super safe. It's, it but the cool. fact that you had your kids at the top of like the highest peak in Australia, that's, yep. that's pretty cool. That's awesome. It, yeah. It's just my wife and the kids. And yeah, that was, that was a neat experience. It's kind of a, I, I was hoping to end with that one, but since I hadn't stood on Denali, I had to go back and try that again. And then the last time I went, um, ended up having to help one of the guys I was with down. He wasn't doing so well. He ended up falling through like Ooh. three different hidden crevasses. So I had to like build anchor points and like help him out and everything. So just, uh, again, good day to survive. <laughs> Time to, to you know, out, I, yeah. Before I get into the Everest thing. So I real quick, the, you're talking about making anchor points. So you're, you're literally rescuing the guys that you're with. Like when you set up anchor points, you're doing, um, what bunch of pulleys and you're mm -hmm. doing your engineering to. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on, you know, whatever the mountain is, but definitely have all the pickets and devices, ice axe. So depending how cold the snow is, you know, you either, you know, create like a dead man anchor, get the rope in there, you know, offload the, the weight off the rope, you know, that cause figure you have a 200 plus pound body and you're Kevin's carrying 70 pounds in a pack. So it's hard to climb out. Like you always try to brute force out, but it doesn't always work. So create an anchor set take the weight off and then, you know, either create a, whatever, three to one, seven to one pulley system and big old mechanical out. advantage. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's all about timing, right? You want yeah. to be quick at what you're doing, but you know, efficient, I guess is probably the best term. And, you know, if you can climb out great, you know, encourage that. But if I'm roped up to another individual, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge guy, so I'm, I'm down, I'm laying on my ice axe, you know, self-arrest and with my crampons, the spikes on my boots, you know, punctured in the ice and then trying to, you know, get a picket out to get into the, the ice and then, you know, transfer the weight over to that. So it's, and it's not like it's perfect conditions when stuff like this happens, you know, right. you're at altitude, you're feeling like ass, um, you know, it's, windy it's cold it might be a blizzard in this case it was a total whiteout which is the whole reason he went through three times <laughs> like dude come on, <laughs> come on man <laughs> <laughs> that wow. happens dang wow dude you you have had some stories well i'll tell you what let, let's get right into the the big one here because this one you had to do a little self-rescue at the top of the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. The book goes into some great detail with it, but here you are standing on top of Mount Everest by yourself, mind you, because mm -hmm. um, your- Pasong. What is it? Pasong. Pasong was, was down. He was, he was actually having mountain sickness uh, mm -hmm. and, and you were like, he was like, yeah, okay, go ahead. I'll wait for you right here. And, uh, you were like, yeah, cool. I'll be back. And you said, if I remember correctly, you said, yeah, I'll be back in about two to three hours. Right. Mm -hmm. Something like that. And seven hours later is, and you know, like when you think about that, just, yeah, hey, I'll see you in like a couple hours, you know, and it turns into seven or eight hours. That's a full work day. Like you've gone to work and come home. And I still haven't seen you. Yeah, it's a lot of work. So <laughs> now, I again, I don't want to ruin the book, so I highly recommend it. Anybody go, go get it, read it, listen to it, whatever you want to do. It's it's pretty awesome. But so you basically, when you get to the top of the mountain, um, you you went blind, and the way it talks about it, or the way you talk about it, is the sun. The radiation and the UV rays had, had pretty much uh, burned your retinas. Is that accurate? Yeah, cornea. Cornea. Sorry, the cornea. 
There you go. And <laughs> get sudden, it right. Yeah, get it. <laughs> Come on, Doc. Sorry. Uh, so then next thing you know, you're you're standing on the top by yourself and everything's starting to turn white. Like what is going through your mind at that point in time? Yeah. Yeah. Have you had snow blindness before? No, nor do I no. want to after listening to no. your story. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend it. It's, it's horrible. Um, I hadn't either. So, so Everest stands at 29,035 feet. You know, it's a two month expedition. The first month is acclimating, you know, climbing up and down the mountain. It's 38 miles just on foot to get to base camp. You know, then you climb through the Kumbu Icefall. It's a river of flowing ice, basically, just building sized blocks of ice. That's where you see the big ladders, you know, crossing with all your gear. So it's just, it's slow moving and to kind of fast forward up to the summit push, um, it was May, the night of May 14th summit was on May 15th, 2011. And it was just, um, Pasong, my Sherpa friend and myself. So just the two of us. And it's, it's pretty unusual to have the summit to yourself. Um, according to the Himalayan database, I'm one of two people to ever have it to, for myself. So we're up there in the death zone. So high camps at 26,000 feet. So it's 8,000 meters. Uh, there's only a third of the air, third of the ozone. Um, so I had supplemental oxygen, you know, just, it's not like scuba diving. If you came off of that, you'd pass out and die. Um, but just, uh, you know, a bottle of supplemental. So it's mixing with the out, outside air and just slowly making our way up through the night, you know, got our headlamps and yeah, Pasong ended up getting sick. And at about 28,000 feet, we had a conversation and he says, you go on. He's already had like two summits, strong young guy, um, really great guy. He's like, I'm just going to wait right here. So he went down, I went up and, you know, it's in those moments you live and die by those decisions, you know, so I had to weigh it out. How was I feeling? I was good. How was the weather? Weather was good at that point. And most importantly, how was Pasong? You know, he assured me he was good. He was going to wait right there. He ended up going all the way down to high camp, which is fine if that's what he needed. I mean, it's, it's, a uh, it's legit up there. So, I mean, if you're not feeling well, you gotta, you gotta do what's right for you. So I continued up, um, eventually made it to the summit. The sun was rising and just, it amazed, it's, it's hard to process. It's, it's one of those things like the rest of my life, it's, I can go back there and just, just kind of still it's, it's surreal, but then to have it to myself is just unheard of. And the, the first thing I, I did, and I had to include it in the book is I had to take a dump. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. That's fantastic. Mother nature. Yeah, that, she answered, yeah. you know, like, Hey, she's calling. Let's go. Let's yep. go. <laughs> so yeah, and it was windy. The winds were kicking up. So, I mean, I, I dropped one and basically Everest borders, Nepal and Tibet. So I was, you know, I, I dumped one in Nepal and then wiped and the wind caught it and went into Tibet. So, <laughs> so I think I have some sort of record there. Oh this will be God. great for your listeners. Awesome. <laughs> it's the reality of it though. There's like it I said, there's, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing glamorous about mountaineering. But I was up there for a bit, you know, took it all in, made a radio call down to let everyone know where I was at and, um, you know, took some selfies, highest selfie in the world. And you just can't stay for long. And I started moving down and just about, you know, a few feet into it, everything just went completely white. So what had happened is the day prior going up Lhotse face. So Lhotse is the fourth highest mountain in the world. You climb up Lhotse just to get to high camp and then up to the summit of Everest. But going up Lhotse face, um, I cracked my goggles and ended up ripping the internal lens out, like not realizing that cut their effectiveness in half. So as soon as the sun came up with only a third of the air, third of the ozone coverage, having blue eyes, more susceptible, as soon as it, the sun banked off the ice, it fried my cornea. And I went completely snow blind Jeez, and man. snow blindness, you know, we, I know in all of our schooling, you get taught and what to do and everything else. Um, not a lot of like self 
survival in those situations. But, um, you know, I, I, I got down on one knee and assess the situation. It's like, okay, I'm at the highest point in the world. I'm completely blind. I'm alone and no one's coming to get me. So I got to get moving. And I just, I got up and I started moving and on Everest at some of these high peaks, there's fixed lines. So like Sherpa and guides and myself will fix these lines of ropes attached to anchor points. So I have my harness and I'm attached to two, you know, two different devices locked into that and coming in and out of anchor points. So basically just hand over hand, making my way down, um, got to the top of Hillary's step and that's like a 40 foot rock climb. Well, it was, I think it's actually crumbled now after an earthquake up there, but I pretty much pendulum down that thing, just slammed into it. Um, you know, cause I have crampons, the spikes on my boots, just kind of sparking down. And I remember just laying at the bottom of it, just assessing, like, am I broken? So you, it was a fall. It was a straight up fall. Yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, it, out of the book, you actually talk about falling like 30 feet. Yeah, that's that's coming up. Oh, I jumped a gun. Oh, dang it. What the hell? What the heck? <laughs> What's wrong with you? So you fell yeah. already once on top trying to feel your way down. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, it's kind of a, a pendulum slid down on the rock and then um, had to climb up and out. So it's basically the south summit. You have to climb back up and then down. And, and that's where I, I took a, a major fall, just slipped out. I was tumbling just head over heels and the rope shock loaded. So I'm upside down. My oxygen's ripped from my mask. My heart is just racing. And all this time I just had to stay calm, just keep calming down. It's kind of like life-saving, right? Like yeah. stay calm, go deep. You know, this, we're trained for this oxygen deprived areas. And um, yeah, so I righted myself and then kind of, you know, felt my way over and got to safety. So I was almost at the halfway point at this point. So, I mean, this was taking hours. Um, but this whole time, I just, I never felt alone. I just, I felt this presence around me. I didn't think about it, but I just, you know, it's just this presence. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, but got down to where Pasong had left and, you know, thinking, okay, this is, it's a ridge and it's, it's literally like a two mile drop on each side, you know, in these areas that I was going. So I had to stay really close to that rope, um, got to the balcony where, um, the halfway point where Pasong was supposed to be. And he wasn't there, you know, I was calling for him. And I know there's some bodies stashed around in that area, but I couldn't see a thing. So with snow blindness, you can't see anything. It is bright white and super painful. Like I always describe it as if you break potato chips and put them in your eyelids. Oh, gosh. like you realize just how often your eyes flutter. Yeah. It's super painful. And like, it's, it's bright white. So it's not like blind where everything's black. Yeah. It's, it's bright white. So you could put your finger in front of your face and you'd know something just moved, but there's no way you can focus on it. Holy cow. So, so at that point though, I remember just being like, kind of happy like wow i made it halfway now it's like 20 pitches of repel i'm like i can do this like i knew probably 99 point whatever percent i was going to die like you just don't survive that situation but i was never ever going to give up you know i was yeah. getting to get back to my family and just figure out a reason to take one more step forward and it was slow moving like when you're trying to like with all the gear massive mittens, everything, trying to like get a carabiner unlocked back on a safe rope. And then the other one on it. I mean, it's, it's very time consuming and it's very steep. So your body weight's kind of on that anchor and there's, there's just a lot. And then at about, um, at about, I don't know, 20 feet from that point, my mask just started sucking into my face and I'm, I'm ripping it off because I ran out of oxygen. And in most cases, like anyone that's climbed up there, if you come off oxygen, you're, you're most likely going to die. And at that point, I had been climbing, I think it was like 33 hours from the day prior to that point 
you know, in just the the worst scenario can imagine. And I just, I remember just dropping to my knees and just praying, just simple, like, God, I can't do this. Like, please help me. And it was like immediately just, it felt like someone reached down, lifted me up to my feet. I just had this energy come over me. And I remember fumbling around in my pack. I had a spare oxygen bottle that had previously failed. I had tried it, you know, after I took that big fall, it just didn't work. So I've, first thing I did is fumbled around with the regulator, screw that on, and I got a positive flow. And I just remember taking like five deep breaths and just the pain of air and life re-entering my body. I mean, it, it physically burned like throughout my veins. It was a crazy feeling, but I didn't overthink it. I just, I got my gear back together and started cruising, you know, cruising down to, to high camp, trying to find my way. And, you know, about a quarter of the mile left, Pasong just hugs me out of nowhere. He's like, Brian, you alive. It's like, I'm so sorry. I leave you. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, dude. Oh, <laughs> so, no, there goes your tip, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a, he's a great guy. Come on. <laughs> <I know>. Wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we stumbled back and uh, I passed out for, I forget how many hours. It was, it was long. It was like, I don't know, 15 hours or something. My eyes were glued shut. Um, I still had to get down. I mean, I still had to go down Lotse face. It's still two days just to get to base camp going down the ladders and the, just the chaos. But, you know, I had Pasong there and just took it really slow. And um, I wouldn't regain my eyesight for, for about a month and a half. And oh, I was, uh, I lost 20 pounds just in the summit push. I mean, I, I looked like I got my ass kicked. I had black eyes. <laughs> I was just, I was hideous. And, uh, but alive and just uh, as a very, very just humbling and just, you know, as a miracle. Wow, Brian, holy smoke. I'm blown away, bro. That is crazy. You know, you talk about the fall and stuff and, and it should, uh, in the book, you talk about it as well, just kind of going kind of head over feet. But um, you also lost a crampon, mm -hmm. which makes it, you know, for anybody that doesn't ice rescue or ice climb or anything like that, you, you kind of need a crampon because your foot <laughs> tends to slide on the ice. Yeah. And uh, walk us through that for a minute because. Yeah. Yeah. There's multiple miracles throughout. You know, I felt this presence um, off the South Summit is when. I felt that pop and the crampon just went flying and I can't see anything. Everything is just bright white, the snow and just everything. And it's now it's, there's 50 mile an hour gusts, but it was still like roasting hot in between those gusts because I have all this gear on. Um, but when I tried to step out to look for it, that's when I took that fall and the rope shock loaded me. And it's just such a miracle. I'm looking up, you know, trying to try and so hard to use my eyes and they didn't work but just seeing the kind of like blurry objects and then crawling up and it's like, I found my crampon, it's stuck. I was like, Oh, thank God. And just cinched that thing up. And, you know, was, yeah, without that, I, I don't even want to think about what that would look like. I mean, I, it would just be so super dangerous. Well, I think it's dangerous just to begin with. And then you... <laughs> it's dangerous with them. Yeah. yeah. You take those off and it's Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's bulletproof ice. I mean, it's not, there's sections where there's some soft snow, but I mean, for the most part, it's, you know, it's, it's cold up there. It's exposed. It's, you know, it's in the death zone. It's called that for a reason. I, this is sick. It's crazy. I'm so glad I'm talking to you right now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> <Me too>. Thanks. <laughs> oh my goodness. And good for you. Like, and the drive to, to move on solid yeah you figure if you're gonna like you said you can swim one more lap yeah you can always find it in you and if if you've ever quit anything in your life i mean that's just a horrible experience you know and there's there's times i mean you have to make calculated decisions you have to call it a day sometimes but there's a lot of times and i think that's what separates us from a lot of people because that's why we're here. It's our high attrition rate. It's hard to get through these schools. 
And there's a reason for that. You can't have a quitter out in the middle of the ocean. Right. It is way too dangerous. That's why we made the extra hundred bucks a month for hazardous pay. (laughs) (laughs) Worth every penny. (laughs) Uh, That's a true statement, by the way. (laughs) Yes, it is. Man, you know, like, uh, you you talk about just that calculated risk and whatnot. You know, actually, Dan Kernshaw, Dan Kernshaw talks about it. Um, a little bit in his book about whether it's, is it quitting or is it realizing that you need to move on? And, you know, I'm not going to be, me personally, I'm not going to be some physiochemist, you know, working on whatever. That's just Mm -hmm. not, I'm not there. I'm going to, I'm not going to quit that. I'm going to say I have a different path and, and, you know, not everybody can do what we do. And I get that, you know, but there is that, did you quit mm-hmm. or did you not? It's almost like that. Are you hurt or are you injured? Right. <laughs> yeah. And only, you know, right. Right. Because right. You can rationalize it in that moment, yeah. but it, it's amazing as you're, you know, if you do turn around on mountains because it's, it's miserable going up, but gravity is on your side coming down. Yeah. So if you're coming down and <laughs> going, Oh crap, I probably could have made it further. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, well, too late. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you said gravity's on your side. Yeah, we know you fell. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was definitely working. Not on my side. <laughs> Good Lord. Brian, that's amazing. Like you, you battled through to basically save yourself. And, uh, you know, I, I, I am all about saying a prayer. I am all about it. And the fact that you say you have a presence with you, I, I'm there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you more often than not on that one. Yeah. I get asked a lot, like, you know, how'd you survive? And yes, of course I was equipped from my training, everything else. The Navy was definitely a huge foundation of just my mindset and physical ability. Um, but really a lot of it just comes down to faith and focus, you know, faith, obviously a huge aspect, had a miracle there, never gave up on a lot of different levels. Um, and then focus, I mean, do you, to get through something like that, you have to know you're going to live. You have to figure out a reason to take one more step, to take one more breath, you know, and that's, I do a lot of talks for, you know, large corporations and whatnot. And it's kind of an easy parallel. I don't have to like force fit it into a grand strategic vision because every person in the audience or it's going to be listening to this is going through something or will, or has, you know, gone through something where they had to figure out, do they need to quit? And they feel like they can, and they, they have to figure out that reason to take one more breath or to live out one more day or one more hour. Push a little harder. Yeah. See what your body can really do or what your mind can really withstand. Yeah. You know? Dude, that's freaking badass. Sick. <laughs> Good for you, man. Thanks. Let's go to Denali. Let's get up there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go do Denali. Denali's amazing. The uh, the first part sucks. I mean, it's amazing just being out there, but it's it's a long slug. Like you're carrying 70 in a pack and then maybe another 50, 60 in a sled. Yeah. Just slowly moving up. And it's a dangerous mountain. So you definitely got to make some good decisions up there. I almost had my head knocked off from a someone a guy kicked a rock off from higher up and that that whizzing sound it was almost like the clicking of a bullet you know going by <laughs> it's like holy crap like my helmet wouldn't have stopped that oh man jeez oh man brian this is insane this is awesome i want to go with you my wife is gonna <laughs> listen to this and she's gonna be like hell no you're not i know that's funny that <laughs> that you listen to this and you're like i want to go <laughs> says a little about yourself <laughs> right uh, yeah yeah i'm in i'm in yeah no that's good you're my kind of guy <laughs> yeah I, I think I'll, uh, I'll start at the basics let's go to rainier first and then i'll go yeah totally there. no rainier is great right. yep <laughs> seems fact, pretty easy uh, for you at this point you're like ah, oh, yeah just a walk in the nah. pack i mean the route yeah it's pretty easy but uh it, it's still altitude and it's it's fun it's it's beautiful i love doing it always bring people up. In fact, the, the pilot from Blackhawk down 
is uh, I might be taking him up this um, this summer. Sweet. Trying to coordinate that. Yeah, the one that got captured and like the actual, not not from the movie. No, so. yeah, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. No, it's yeah, it's always cool just to bring new folks up there and have that experience. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, and to have him, you know, that's that's another guy with another uh, drive, that that ultimate drive to to do more. Like, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Good for you. Good for him. Yeah. So, well, take you up, Brian. I, you know, if if you would recommend anything, you know, like just from everything you've experienced, every mountain you've climbed, what would you pass on to those guys? Let's go simple back to rescue swimmer school or your training there all the way to what you've done mountaineering. I know that's a very broad request of mindset and, and what you would recommend, but you know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there that, that just need a little direction. What would you tell them? Yeah, I think, uh, I think through it all, it's um, you, you can't go light on your mental health. Like the jobs that we did, it's dealing with trauma and, you know, a lot of the, the folks that I talked to that have been through it, you know, even, you know, some of the, the mission sets, you know, that I did while I was in or the close calls or, you know, whatever it's, you know, it's, it's all trauma related. And we were kind of in that zone, you know, fired up, trained, um, but the military is not great about um, talking about things. So in the short term, you may deal with that trauma, but over time, you know, when you get out and you have a lot of time to think about it, that box gets opened yeah. and, and with that, there's a lot of pain. So, so I, hopefully the military is doing more around that, but I know when I was in the last thing you wanted to do was be labeled like oh, uh-huh. just a, a flight risk. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. they may ask you, how are you doing after seeing whatever? Um, I'm good. Okay. We'll get you on a flight later today or whatever, you know, and it's like, okay. And then, you know, later on in life. And then with me mountaineering, you know, all these things kind of accumulate some of these near death experiences. Um, but I'm actually writing a, another book right now and it's on my, not even my Navy experience, but on aviation rescue swimmers. And it's not a book about me. It's about we, so it's, you know, interviewing these, these folks that have had some pretty amazing rescues you know, a lot cooler than me. Like I've had my medevacs on subs and whatever did my thing, but uh, there's just, there's a lot of stories out there that need to be told, but there's also a lot of trauma out there that we've all went through. So I'd say just for someone who is just starting out or even that's in right now, it's, you know, document everything, get, don't be afraid to get help to admit it. It does not make you weak, makes you stronger. I mean, the, the stronger your mental health, stronger you're going to be physically and really to do your job. And that's, that's in your personal life. That's in your job. That's everything. That's awesome. I totally agree. Yeah. We talk about it quite a bit here, just mental health. And yeah, if you get to talk to somebody, do it. Don't be afraid. And my number is always available. Call me, email me, text me, Brian. He's going to, he's going to throw his out there too. Hey, Send him a message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone yeah. can reach out to me. Love, yeah. love talking to people. Yeah. That's awesome. Holy cow. This has been great. Uh, these stories are just insane. Brian, this is so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and, and just sharing this with us. And me specifically, God, I, I, I want to get on a mountain now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. When are you back in the States? Uh, not soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be here. Just look me up. <laughs> All right, man. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to actually like plan it. But it, I would love to come out with you. That'd be so fun. That would be cool. Yeah. So, well, until then, my friend, I'll uh, I'll catch up with you a little later. All right. Thanks again for coming on and sharing these stories, brother. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. 
Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>